right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, and we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right. Welcome to In Your Corner with Cora Physical Therapy. This is a podcast that's really sort of focused on your health. And we've got some incredible professionals for this particular series. Um, we're going to start out with uh, Kinsey. And uh, she's a core physical therapist. Mad skills. Give us a little background on who you are there, Kinsey. Yeah, I graduated in 2017. I went to Southwest Baptist. Um, University for PT school, and I've been in the O'Fallon Clinic in St. Louis, Missouri, for about almost three years now. Hey, hey, what's the the uh, um, sort of the 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 individual? For, what's it? Uh, your your mascot with your university was there a mascot? Yeah, they were the Bearcats. Let's see, that's cool. Bearcats. I don't know what that is, but it's a Bearcat. <laughs> Combination of two great animals, Bearcats. All right, Doctor Melander. Give us a little 411 on your background. Uh, so um, I am uh, not from St. Louis. I'm from the, the Northeast. Uh, I came to um, St. Louis via my residency at DePere Hospital, where um, I did my orthopedic surgery residency. And at that time, I was uh, fortunate enough uh, to be under the uh, tutelage of Dr. Lehman with many of his sports medicine cases. And I am forever grateful. I went on to do a... Uh, fellowship in sports medicine uh, at the University of Indiana, Methodist Sports Medicine uh, in 2006 and seven at the time uh, where we covered the Indianapolis Colts uh, yeah. and they happened to win a Super Bowl that year. I did not get a ring, but uh, I was uh, part of the medical staff. And really, um, that's a sore subject now. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, especially since I'm a Patriots fan. So, you know, it was hard for me, but I learned a lot, and um, <laughs> I've uh, I've translated all my education from my sports medicine fellowship into my private practice now. Um, I've been in private practice in uh, uh, where Kenzie is in O'Fallon, sort of St. Charles County, which is directly west of St. Louis County, uh, for uh, twelve years. Yeah. Did uh, did Doctor Rick drop names all the time? The sports names and all that stuff. <laughs> no, he didn't. Wow. Uh, he was he was uh, he was he very instrumental. You know, in retrospect, you know, thinking back, you know, uh, he, he was not an official part of my program, but, you know, I would look at the surgical schedule in the OR and I was like, oh, Dr. Lehman's doing this at the other day. So I'd say, hey, Dr. Lehman, you mind if I scrub these cases? And he was always very gracious and letting me scrub and even let me do some of the procedure. And um, yeah, um, That's it was right it was answer. part of my development as a sports medicine physician. And I, I really oh, appreciate it. I wanted to sort of stir up some friction but apparently you you know how to navigate those waters all right dr rick we don't need a background on you because uh clearly you've got bad skills that people should already know about you take it away ask the questions you're amazing uh if this whole doctor thing doesn't work out for you doctor i just want to let you know you've got a future in podcasting <laughs> <laughs> take it away so tonight this, this is going to be a great podcast tonight we're going to talk about hockey and we're going to talk about something that's very common in hockey, very common in soccer, 
And we're going to lean on Dr. Melander quite a bit tonight uh, for his help. And we're going to talk about femoral acetabular impingement, which is kind of new in terms of orthopedic sports medicine. So if you think about total hips, which started in the 60s and was popularized in the 60s and 70s, this probably got popularized more 15, 20 years ago and has really become more and more prevalent, a lot more research about it. So I'm going to start off by just going through some basics. I'm going to ask Dr. Melander to go ahead and describe the anatomy of the acetabular labrum. The acetabulum is the hip for people out there who are listening who don't know, and probably most people who are listening do know. And describe what, what is FAI? What are we talking about? Well, um, I, I, I came complete with um, some visuals here. So I do have a pelvis, an acetabular pelvis, and I do have a a, a femur, which is um, part of the femoral acetabular joint. So uh, when we talk about FAI or femoral acetabular impingement, we talk about um, when the femoral head impinges on the acetabulum. And if you can see here, this is acetabulum right here. And this is just a styrofoam model, but you can see the acetabulum here. What you don't see is a soft tissue, which is Dr. Lehman re is referring to is the labrum, uh, is about 70% of the circumference of the acetabulum. Uh, it is connected on the bottom here by the transverse acetabular ligament. And you can see this little divot here. I don't know if you can see that very close, but that's where the, uh, the uh, fovium is. And that's where the, uh, the artery that supplies the blood, the blood to the femoral head. And so when you have impingement, the uh, femoral uh, neck and head impinge on the acetabulum. Um, and it produces inflammation of the uh, um, labrum. It can lead to tears, and it can also uh, lead to uh, additional um, uh, spurring of the, of the acetabulum to the point where uh, they have pain with internal rotation and uh, mm. difficulty with um, pretty easy movements uh, in terms of, in terms of a, a hockey player. Um, and so we, we talk about the, the femur, right? The femoral head is here and the acetabulum here. So femoral acetabular impingement as it pinches the labrum, which is a soft tissue that lives here uh, that we can't see. But I hope the, uh, the model is um, a good demonstration of what impingement implies. So Matt, that, that, that was excellent. So Along those lines, kind of show us the position of a hockey, the, the flex position. So you're, you're, you're a hockey player, you're a forward, you're skating down the ice. What, what position, using, using your, your, your pelvis, is, is the hip in? What, what kind of, where, where's the femoral neck and where's the acetabulum and why is it impinging when, when uh, Vladimir Tarasenko skating down the ice? So, yeah, so um, when, when hockey players who have a predominant uh, uh, risk of, of uh, impingement, especially the goalies. But as in terms of Tarasenko, who's a forward, and he's skating, he's constantly doing an abduction um, mechanism where he skates out and that small rotation. And you figure every, with every skate step, he does this, he does this. And, you know, you can imagine, I don't want 
to think we can count the number of times he does this, but over time that can lead to um, impinging here. And I'm trying to show the soft tissue. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the movement here, but the soft tissue that gets pinched in that particular region, right where the femoral head meets acetabulum. Um, and hockey goalies, maybe a little bit different, sort of a flex position, and they get down, and you always see them do the kick saves, right? The kick saves, and you can see how that acetabulum is is continually pinched, and over time, the uh, labrum can get um, um, injured, uh, and when you see frequently on these x-rays, you don't see a normal looking femoral head like this. You see a little bit of a bony bump here. And the bony bump is a, is a natural uh, response of the bone to repetitive trauma. If the bone gets injured and is uh, repeatedly um, traumatized, it starts to develop more bone. So develop more, develops more bone, bigger bump, more impingement. And it sort of cascades into um, the, the so-called FAI. So, so along those lines, let, let's, you're doing great. Along those lines, let's talk about the different kinds of impingement. So let's talk about pincher and, and cam and, and, and mixed impingement, looking at your model there. I mean, what's, a, what's the difference? Well, so um, we, we talk about cam impingement. Cam impingement is impingement that's on the femoral head. And uh, that, that tends to impinge on the acetabulum here. And that's predominantly the most common kind of impingement we see um, as, uh, as sports medicine physicians. Pincer impingement is a overgrowth or impingement from the, from the acetabular side. Uh, and that's um, sometimes can be congenital, uh, but many times in an athlete, it develops from this, the repetitive uh, traumatic episodes from flexion and or internal rotation. And, and, and if it's mixed, you have a little of both? Is that, is that Mixed, correct? you have a little of both. And and so we're we're doing we're doing great. So I think what what everyone has to understand: the acetabulum is a socket, the ball is the femoral head, and the labrum is the little bumper that goes around the socket. So explain how labral tears occur, and then explain how labral tears associate with FAI. What what what, what is the connection? Well, labral tears occur uh, because of the repetitive trauma of the um, cam and or pincer impingement. And when labor, labral uh, uh, tears occur, it, it causes uh, pain and um, some, some disability of, of the hip. Many times um, uh, it, can be, um, uh, it can be torn enough to cause actually mechanical symptoms, catching, locking, or um, that feeling of pincer uh, impingement, which we've frequently heard about. And, and so uh, your hockey goalie comes in, he, he's been butterflying, he has pain, he has that abduction flexion moment you're talking about. Kind of go through the, phys the, the typical physical exam. What are you looking for? How do you examine this athlete? And, and how do you make the diagnosis on physical exam? Well, certainly with uh, any good physical exam, you want to take a uh, comprehensive uh, history um, as to um, when the injury, uh, sorry, when the pain occurs, what position the patient is in. And then when it comes to the physical exam, we, uh, you know, one, one critical uh, question that I like to ask is, did you have any kind of uh, hip pain or hip problems as a kid? You know, whenever a baby is born, they have, uh, they're tested for hip dysplasia. You know, dysplasia can predispose you to 
um, this kind of uh, labral uh, pathology. Um, without hip dysplasia, we want to measure their leg links, make sure their leg links are equal. Leg link discrepancy can be a big problem, not only with um, you know the, the the sporting aspect of it, but just everyday life. And uh, then we'll go through a series of range of motion. We'll touch the we'll touch uh, test the strength of both hips. And there's a couple uh, particular uh, uh, exams that we do uh, that are um, sort of pathognomonic for uh, impingement. One is the fader test where we get the hip and I can show again, if we can flex the hip up and internally rotation, fader, flexion, adduction, internal rotation. And that reproduces that pincer type effect. And they usually have pain with that. The Faber test is something you want to do. That's flexion, adduction, sorry, abduction and um, external rotation to make sure it, the, the, the pain is not coming from the, uh, the back. Uh, and then Typically, it involves um, uh, a diagnostic um, x-ray, uh, and we do that, uh, take a picture of the pelvis for both hips, um, and then we look at the anatomy of the hip, uh, and then we do a frog leg lateral to check the anatomy to see if they have any um, uh, bony uh, bumps or anything that might predispose them to um, the uh, labral tear. Uh, and then most often, we, we progress to a uh, MRI. Uh, an MRI usually uh, includes an arthrogram, um, which is dye into the hip because the labrum is a small structure and the hip is a very constrained joint. And so we'll really need the dye to help us diagnose any kind of hip pathology. That's super. And, and, and any indication for diagnostic injections? Do you do many diagnostic injections or? I do uh, do diagnostic injections. So there's, there's always those, those patients, um, uh, and it, for my patient population of team, it seems to be the, the, the um, female soccer player, you know, they have a lot of active, you know, their uh, position of their hip is not as predictable as a hockey player, but with their stopping, starting, jumping, turning, twisting, all that stuff, they have hip pathology. It could be something as simple as synovitis, which is inflammation of the joint. And if the MRI arthrogram is sort of, um, I guess, equivocal, meaning it looks like there's a tear, maybe there's not a tear, the radiologist can't make the call. I think that a diagnostic uh, injection is, is appropriate because we inject an anesthetic as well as a steroid into the hip. And you know, then we have them keep what's called a hip journal. You know, I say, okay, I want you over the next two weeks to sort of keep a journal of the pain in your hip. Uh, and then they come back and we, we go over the journal. If the, if the hip injection did relieve some of their symptoms, uh, then there's a pretty good indication there's some interarticular pathology or, or, or tearing of the labrum and or uh, synovitis that may need to be addressed. That's awesome. So Kinsey, Dr. Melander has his patient. Patient has FAI, has some hip impingement, positive impingement signs and he sends them over to physical therapy. Walk us through the process, how you evaluate the patient, and then your treatment protocol. Yeah, so is this post-surgery or pre-surgery? Well, let's start with pre-surgery. You're trying to get the patient better. You're trying to avoid surgery. Maybe yeah. this female soccer player has a little bit of instability, a little pelvic uh, slide, and and he sends, a, he sends that, that female over 
you're going to evaluate the female and then we'll talk about the hockey player, but you're going to evaluate that patient and kind of walk us through those steps. Yeah. So kind of like what Dr. Melander was saying, they're going to come into the clinic. We're going to kind of assess their hip range of motion, see where they're limited. Are they, do they have normal internal rotation, external rotation? Do they have normal hip strength? Do they have normal glute strength? How is their flexibility um, in their hamstrings and their quads and their glute muscles? We're going to try to find any imbalances that they might have that might be causing some impairments, some compensations that could be causing that hip joint to be in a not ideal position when, say, they're kicking a ball if they're a soccer player or when they're running or if they're a hockey player when they're skating. So we're going to start by kind of putting them on the table, getting our hands on them, really stretch them. So do a lot of stretching, get normal hip range of motion first, and then slowly start to strengthen Glute meat specifically is usually weak, but anything that's weak, we're going to get them on the table. We're going to start to strengthen them on the table and then kind of get normal movement patterns back in the correct way. And then we'll, if they're responding well to that, we'll get them on the, on the ground and we'll start doing weight bearing stuff. If they're doing well weight bearing, we're going to start doing, if they're responding well, we're going to do sports specific stuff as soon as we can and see how they're kicking a ball, see how they're running, see how they're kind of getting on a slide board and seeing how they're sliding, like kind of mimicking skating as best we can and see what's happening in those positions and try to correct any impairments that we have by strengthening or stretching or massage or any type of manual technique that we have. That's awesome. So explain to us somebody with a, a, an anterior rotation or a posterior rotation or, or just pelvic balance. How do you assess pelvic balance in these athletes? Because to me, that's, that's always been, uh, a, a key, I think once, especially, especially in, in people with FII, once, once we kind of establish neutral balance, they seem to get better a lot quicker. So kind of explain that to us a little bit. Yeah. So a lot of times a good way to, to, if their glutes are weak, if they stand on one leg, the opposite, so they're standing on their left leg, their opposite hip is going to want to drop. And if their opposite hip drops, then their knees are going to want to go in and it's going to cause a lot of compensation. And if they're doing that in single leg stance, you can also look if they can run at the time, if they're not having too much pain, you can see it in their run too. Whenever they're running on their, on that single leg stance, their other hip is going to drop. So you see a lot of lateral rotation in single leg stance, and that's going to be a good indicator of, a, of glute weakness or an imbalance that they might have. And, and what about anterior rotation? How, how do you assess for anti, like, like when you lay them on their back, if one hip is kind yeah. of higher than the other anteriorly, how, A, how do you assess that? And B, what do you, how do you treat that? Yeah, so you can also do it um, prone as well, kind of testing their internal rotation, their external rotation. So if they're anteriorly rotated, a lot of times you want to assess if it is a structural rotation, like from the beginning as, they, as their bones kind of formed, is it sitting more anteriorly or posteriorly? Or is it muscles that are tight that are causing, that are attached on that hip bone, on that femur, are they causing that anterior rotation or posterior rotation if the muscles are pulling too much in one way? So if it's muscular, a lot of stretching and a lot of like getting our hands on soft tissue, really releasing those muscles and getting that normal flexibility might help some of that rotation if it is coming from a muscular situation, like a tightness of the muscle that's attaching to that femur or that pelvis. And the first question the athlete's going to ask 
Dr. Melander and you as well as, hey, when can I go back to practice? When can I play? How long is this going to take? So what, what, and I'll ask you first, and then we'll ask Dr. Melander for uh, his input. But all right, conservative care, impinging, maybe they have a labral tear, you're going to treat it conservatively. How do you know when enough's enough and they need surgery? And how long do you think it takes if they get better to go back to their sport? Yeah, so conservatively, I would say, I mean, it takes a good, if it's a, if it's a impingement type of situation, it takes a good six to eight weeks to really get that functional strength back that limits the flexibility back. So I would say six to eight weeks of strengthening and depending on how they respond to the weight bearing stuff, we're going to get them in the clinic and we're going to test them through the motion. So at six weeks, if they're doing really well, if they're not having any pain, we can possibly get them on the treadmill and run, or we can take them through some, some sports specific stuff. We can put them on some BOSU balls, some dynamic surfaces, or we can use sports cords and mimic different um, return to play type of actions and kind of test it that way. That way we know if they're pain-free moving through all those motions, we've tested them and we've made sure their strength is good to where they, when they go out and play, we know that they're not going to compensate. They're not going to have any weakness. They're not going to have any pain. And then a lot of times if, if we're going through treatment and, you know, three, four weeks have gone by and they're just not getting any better, nothing we do with manually stretching them, soft tissue, any type of strengthening, if it's just not getting better, not getting better, that's usually when we're like, okay, let's reassess this. Let's send them to Dr. Lehman, Dr. Melander, and kind of see if there's something else going on that's not going to be helped with conservative therapy. So, so Dr. Melander, I ask you the same question. What, what, what's your time frame in, in terms of conservative care? And is there any role for biologics treating these athletes conservatively? PRP, stem cells, amniotic stem cells, et cetera. Right. Well, um, I would, uh, I would echo what Kenzie said and, and, you know, get them into a, a comprehensive return to play protocol, um, where, uh, they mimic their, their sport and see if they have a pain-free, um, response. Um, I've, I've actually, um, done a, uh, diagnostic, uh, injection, and then sent them to therapy and had them go through a, a return to play protocol and see, see what the difference is. Um, and, um, you know, like she said, if, if, if they're still having issues and they can't, you know, move forward with the return to play protocol, then um, I think it's time to, to, to take the, uh, the next step. Uh, in terms of um, biologics, PRP, um, uh, stem cell, uh, amniotic, any of the, uh, uh, available um, treatment options out there. Um, I think it has a role. I think the the biology of PRP uh, and stem cells is on on spot. I think the problem is that we haven't figured out how um, to apply it. And you know, uh, certainly uh, it's a discussion with the patient and the family. I mean, you can talk about a potential ultrasound guided or fluoroscopic guided PRP injection. Um, and maybe it might decrease some inflammation or maybe even contribute to a healing of a labral tear. But if the problem is anatomic, if they have a, a, a cam lesion with a bump on the femoral head, then I think you're uh, frankly wasting your money. And, and the reason is um, there's not a great deal of literature regarding PRP with hip impingement and, um, 
it's likely uh, not to give them much relief if it's an anatomic problem. So along those lines, patient comes back, you have a discussion, you've been to therapy four to six weeks, or Kinsey sends a patient back, patient says, you know, I've been going to therapy, my hip pain's about the same, exam is unchanged. What are the next steps? Uh, the next steps at that point would be um, a discussion with the patient and the family regarding a, uh, what I would do a diagnostic arthroscopy, uh, an arthroscopic procedure of the hip where we um, insert a camera in the hip and look at the, the anatomy. Um, as I say to patients, we got a nice HD screen. We can see all your pathology. We can, we can probe the tear and, 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 you know, address it from there. In those instances, I would say that almost, well, I'm going to say 100% of the time, but most of the time there's pathology significant, up, significant enough to um, uh, demand a, a, a surgical uh, repair and or um, what we call an osteoplasty where we, we take care of the uh, bump on the femoral head um, if it comes to this surgical treatment. And, and if you're going to proceed surgically, to fix the lesion, what do you, uh, do you repair the labrum? Do you reconstruct the labrum? Do you take the bump off? What, what, what's next? Um, yeah. So uh, if, if there's a labral tear in a young athlete, you know, we, we uh, by all means repair it. Um, and uh, even if it's a fairly uh, uh, significant tear, because uh, we don't want to change the, the biomechanics of the hip by any means. Um, and um, if, uh, you know, depending on the preoperative uh, workup via x-rays and or MRI, if there's evidence of a femoral, uh, a bump on the femoral head to, to contribute to the pathology, then we, we take the bump off uh, in what we call an osteoplasty. That's like um, basically smoothing out the femoral neck um, and to, to look more like this um, and less like, you know, the, if you look at the next ray it's kind of straight down here and just smooth off the bone there. Um, and that takes a little longer, but uh, that's the um, indicated procedure. That's awesome. And, and so uh, in terms of, of labor repair, and we can get in all kinds of capsular issues, et cetera. Let's just talk about repairing the labrum. Just give me kind of the reader's digest of, of how, how do you fix the labrum? Use anchors? What, what is the, the kind of go-to uh, procedure to fix the labrum? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the, in my hands, the go-to procedure would be after we have, have diagnosed the labral tear, um, we'll uh, sort of mobilize the labral tear. Um, and that means essentially, if there's any scar tissue, we release it. Uh, and we want to pay close attention to the acetabulum because uh, if in order for the repair to be successful, we want to have a, um, a healing uh, a bed of bone. And so we look at the Acetabulum, we want to uh, debride any soft tissue. And in most cases, we take a small burr and kind of clean up the labrum, I'm sorry, the uh, acetabulum. So there has a little bleeding bed of bone. And then we repair it usually with anchors. Uh, currently, I use um, uh, a suture tack, which is a knotless anchor. Um, and it's also all suture. Um, uh, when I do intraarticular procedures, uh, I don't like to use plastic or metal or anything just in case that gets loosened the joint because they can wreak havoc on the articular cartilage. So we want to be very careful about the articular cartilage, especially in a young person, because any kind of um, damage can lead to premature uh, arthritis. Um, uh, and so once we're, we're done the procedure, we'll 
uh, suture the labrum back, suture the labrum back down. Uh, we'll probe it and uh, make sure it's uh, secure. And at that point, we'd release the traction, which we do um, um, during the procedure to open up the hip joint. Um, but we want to minimize traction as much as possible. And then we'd address the uh, the osseous bump on the um, on the femoral head. Um, and um, procedure usually takes about you know an hour, an hour and a half, and then um, let the rehab start. And and so so moving right along here, we're on a roll. Um, how long do you immobilize them for? Give me give me your post-op protocol because the next question is going to be, all right, Kenzie, post-op, what are we going to do? So what are you going to do between your surgical date and when you're going to send them to therapy and kind of give us some time frames? Um, so uh, post-operatively, um, I put them in a hip abduction brace uh, and I see them back in a week, but during that week, I keep them all non-weight bearing, whether it's a, just a straight labor repair or a labor repair coupled with a, uh, either, uh, femoral neck osteoplasty or acetabuloplasty. Um, and then depending on the procedure, we have them come back in a week. If there's a femoral neck osteoplasty, um, essentially I've taken away some bone that was structural to their hip. And so I'll keep them non-weight bearing and abduction brace for about four weeks, similar to the acetabuloplasty. But if it's a straight labrum, we'll let them start weight bearing in the brace for uh, after the first week. I keep it in an abduction brace about four weeks. Uh, at that time, I'm confident that the labrum is repaired and as uh, healed. Um, and then um, during that time, between the first and the fourth week, there was some passive range of motion things. I've particularly found that aquatic therapy with these hip uh, arthro arthroscopies, they do extremely well. You know, let them weight bear in the water, let them go through a range of motion in the water. And um, I've, I've, I've found personally that um, this accelerates their, their recovery uh, in a nice way. That's excellent. All right, Kinsey. So now the patient shows up, they're four or five weeks out. They've had their surgery, possibly a labor repair, labor reconstruction, possibly uh, an osteoplasty, a decompression. Kind of walk us through their post-op course PT-wise. Yeah, so they're coming in and whether they're weight-bearing or non-weight-bearing, we're going to get them on the table at first. It's pretty similar to conservative therapy. In a way, we're going to, in the beginning, it's about letting those tissues heal, making sure there's no overuse, making sure there's no inflammation. A lot of times the hip flexor can be a stubborn thing with hip surgery. So you want to make sure that the hip flexor isn't getting inflamed or overused. So we'll kind of put our hands on them, do a lot of massage, make sure all those muscles around the hip are staying loose. Um, a lot, like Dr. Melander said, a lot of passive range of motion, make sure we're getting that normal hip range of motion back before we start doing a lot of strengthening. If we do a lot of strengthening before we get that hip range of motion back, they're going to learn abnormal movement patterns. And we don't want that. So we want to make sure they're learning good patterns, good movement patterns, on the table, non-weight-bearing, before we get them into the weight-bearing stuff. And then as they progress through the non-weight-bearing stuff, it's going to be a lot of glute strengthening, a lot of hip strengthening, kind of making sure everything is equal, don't have any imbalances there, making sure you're overusing certain muscles to compensate for weaker muscles. Then we're going to get off the table and do some standing stuff, some strengthening, make sure as they squat, they have squatting the make sure they have good single leg hip control, 
Um, we're going to get into eventually, we're going to get into, as Dr. Melander or the surgeon allows, we're going to get into return to sports activities. And at first, it's going to be pretty simple, pretty simple sports specific movements, and then kind of move them into more aggressive sports specific movements. So we're going to get them on a sport cord and we're going to make sure, especially if we're talking about hockey players specifically, they have to their hip has to stabilize so many motions, so many contact points. They're constantly on their hip in all directions. So we're going to strengthen in every direction we can. We're going to resist them in every direction we can and test them in ways they're going to be tested on the ice or test them in ways they're going to be put on the soccer field. So that way when we are able to get into practice, they know, okay, my hip is good. I've done this in therapy. I'm comfortable. I know I have the strength. It helps them kind of relax a little bit. And then also it's a lot of education throughout, like this pain is a good pain. This is a soreness pain. This is a pain because you haven't been able to run for a long time and now we're starting to run, or this is a bad pain. This is like a hip flexor strain, or this is a pain we want to watch out for that way. Whenever, you know, athletes, they're going to want to, they're going to want to push through it. They're going to want to, they want to play. So they're going to be like, Oh, it was a little pain, but, but it was fine. So you have to really educate them on this is an okay soreness. This is a muscle soreness. This is a pain we want to watch out for. We're going to kind of dial it back if you're having this pain and make sure we don't have any muscle injuries. So it's kind of a lot of education as well throughout. And, and Dr. Belander, again, the first question, which you've heard 20,000 times, when can I go back? So I had the surgery. How long is it going to take for me to go back to hockey, play soccer, uh, run, so, so what's the time frame? And, and you can kind of go through a labor repair and then a labor repair with a decompression. Kind of give us your average time frame. I would say, uh, in general, average time frame is probably four to six months. Um, and, you know, I always find there's a disconnect between, you know, return to play and what the patient sees. Like the patient sees two small or three small incisions around the hip, right? And like, well, you didn't do very much. What's, why is it taking so long? <laughs> But I think it takes a while um, for, uh, you know, the labrum repairs, that's easy. Um, but they haven't used their hip like they're normally used to. And also, as Kinsey referenced, um, you know, uh, surgery is traumatic, you know. And so there's uh, some um, perioperative trauma to the hip flexor when you insert the cannulas, and that has to heal. And then um, if it's coupled with an osteoplasty, they got to sort of get used to a sort of a new freedom of movement. Um, they're able now to, to internally rotate their hip with adduction without much pain. Um, and um, I, my, my experience is that uh, for some reason, those with femoral neck osteoplasties seem to return a little bit sooner than those of just a plain labral tears. I haven't figured out why, um, but that's been my experience. But in general, it's about four to six months. And, and we would use a physical therapist um, uh, in concert with, um, you know, a return to sport protocol. I mean, you know, unfortunately, we don't have, you know, a therapy every day of the week and they're skating and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's a little more um, generalized in terms of when we think they can return to sport. And, and what percentage when, when dad or mom asks, do you expect to return to sport at the level that they either left sport or return to sport um, full boat? You mean percentage of patients? 
Well, yeah. What, what's your success rate or what's the success rate in, in across the board and somebody with FAI in terms of having a labor repair decompression, how many percent of the athletes are able to return to their previous sport? Well, I, I, you know, I, um, I think if you look at the literature, it's around 90%. I mean, most people uh, with this labral pathology or hip pathology do, do pretty well. Um, and the, the surgery is, is, is successful. Um, I think probably because um, it's one of those things that um, for whatever reason, um, they, uh, they, deal with the, they deal with the symptoms for a longer period of time. I know I don't have to tell you the, the person, you know, that comes to see you after a year and says, well, you know, my doctor says I have arthritis, you know, I, I don't know what's going on, you know, and you, and you work them up and they have, you know, an FAI or a label injury and um, they're very grateful. So um, I, I think the duration of the symptoms is longer than your average sports medicine injury. And um, I think therefore the success with uh, post-surgical outcomes is, is a little better. Excellent. And, and one final question, or maybe two final questions. You were talking about traction. Um, give us the pitfalls. What, 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 what are the negatives? What, what can happen? What are the complications with hip yeah. arthroscopy mm-hmm. uh, and um, FAI uh, decompressions, labor repairs, et cetera? Yeah. So um, I think I, I mentioned briefly uh, before um, uh you know, in order, the hip is a very constrained joint, maybe the, the most constrained, one of the most constrained joint we have. So we have to provide traction to open the joint uh, to get our instrumentation there to perform the procedure. So we put a post, it's called a perineal post, it's between the legs. We apply traction to both the legs and really um, it can be up to 60 pounds of traction, which essentially distracts the hip probably one to two centimeters so we can get our instrumentation in. Um, when I'm counseling patients on um, post-operative expectations, um, you know, one of the more common things I see is, um, you know, you have some perineal numbness. Uh, and that's just because the prolonged traction of about an hour can cause perineal numbness. Now, my canned speech to the patients is, now, I, I want to let you know that we put you in traction um, and there's a lot of pressure on your perineal area. So you may feel the urge to pee. That's what I say. (laughs) Um, You may be able to go pee, but you might not feel it, which is a little alarming. And that's one of the calls. And that's just because of the perineal pressure that's been applied, but that usually resolves over some time. Um, Another pitfall is um, the anterior thigh has a, uh, a nerve called the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve, which comes out of the pelvic girdle and kind of innervates the anterior, anterior lateral aspect of the thigh. And so from the pressure of the arthroscopic fluid, uh, from the placement of cannulas, that nerve may become irritated. And you may develop a little, uh, what we call neuropraxia or, or inflammation or stretching of the nerve. Awesome. That's usually um, from the surgical procedure and the, all the time that that will resolve um, and, and the sensation will, will return. Um, uh, so um, those, those patients, when that occurs, if they, they get a little alarmed, but they're always reassured that uh, those symptoms will resolve. Excellent. So I'm going to ask Kinsey first, and then I'm going to ask you uh, our final question. And that is, uh, 
What did we miss? What do we need to uh, add in closing thoughts? Ms. Kinsey? Um, I think what I see in physical therapy the most is kind of the balance between the athlete and the parent wanting them to get back to sport quickly and then making sure that they're aware that it is a slower process and the slower we take it and the proper, if we take it in the proper way, they might have to wait a little bit longer, but they're going to have less complications. They're going to have less lingering pain. So I think just the education on the athletes of be a little patient in the beginning, even though it's boring to you, even though we can't, you know, we're on the table a lot of it and we're doing some not as much running or kind of boring things, just making sure they buy into it and making sure they get the importance of even the more boring stuff as they see it until they can get to the more sports specific stuff. So they don't get frustrated with therapy. And Dr. Melander, give us your closing thoughts. Yeah, I would, I would uh, uh, just to, to um, follow up with what Kinsey said, you know, you know, they always want to get back to sport yesterday. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've always been, unfortunately, in that spot where we, we let them go back and they, and they get a little inflammation in the return of their symptoms. Um, and we kind of have to, you know, take a few steps back for, um, um, to get them back into rehab and kind of slow things down. Um, part of the frustration, I think, for me as a sports medicine surgeon is, you know, uh, there's all these procedures for athletes. Uh, and I, one that comes to mind is usually an ACL reconstruction. Like, you know, you go to these meetings and it's like, if not you, Kinsey may not remember this, but you know, Miller light was a beer. Then one group says tastes great. One says less filling and no one really knows what the return to sport protocol is. Like, when do you let them go back? I think there's a little bit of, uh, experience that's involved. I think there's, um, you know, certainly their progress with physical therapy and, um, certainly that relationship with the parent and the kid where you can see the confidence in the kid uh, in the exam room, you know, that they feel like they're ready to go back and skate or skate at a limited um, ability and then and then kind of progress from there. Um, one of the other topics, and this may be more for just Dr. Lehman, is um, the concept of hip instability, right? You see these, you know, these young female soccer players that are, have a little bit of hyperlaxity and they have pain, everything's negative. Um, and, but what essentially they're experiencing is hip instability. They have a little capsular laxity. Um, they're straining the hip. Um, and uh, sometimes it's a helpless feeling like I got nothing on the MRI. I got nothing to help you. And so, you know, is there any, you know, what would be the treatment options for them? You know, you could do a capsulography of the hip, which is, you know, sort of scattered throughout the literature. But I think it sees me more than I see it. <laughs> right. No, that's right. And, 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 and we alluded to that a little bit when we were talking about uh, female soccer players that do tend to have more commonly uh, a little bit of uh, uh, instability. And if you decompress them, you can accentuate their instability. So there are there are some there are some issues. Um, I just want to thank you guys. This was an ex this is a tough topic and and it's it's forever changing. And, you know, my hat's off to both you guys. You did a great job on the podcast. And, and I think people really um, will get a sense of, of hip ish issues. And, and you're right. I mean, for years, we always thought the hip was inherently stable, which we know now that it isn't. And there really wasn't a whole lot to do if you had a labral tear. And we know that that probably wasn't right either. 
And we always felt that FAI just went on to degenerative arthritis. So you just hung in there and got your hip replaced, which we also know probably isn't the way to go. So um, it's a moving target. I think it's forever changing. And I want to thank both you guys. You both did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm coming after your uh, job there, Dr. Rick. As I continue to listen to In Your Corner podcast, I am learning a heck of a lot. So, you know, be on the lookout. I'm going to self-diagnose myself. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. So don't even, listeners out there, it's not going to happen. I'll just go to Google. Ah! All right. Thank you very much, all of you. Hey, uh, Dr. Melander, how can somebody get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, so uh, you can um, contact me through our uh, sports hotline. We have a, uh, my athletic trainer. Her name is Heather. Um, and, uh, we have a sports hotline at 636-627-7678. And if you look at the numerical, uh, numbers on the phone and you relate them to the letters, it's 636-62-SPORT. And what about your website? Do you have a website you could uh, shoot out there for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Lehman. It's, uh, melandersportsmedicine.com. Melandersportsmedicine.com. I'm glad yeah. that URL was available. Now, now, <laughs> Kenzie, now, I, I, do you have a last name or are you you're just sort of one of those? Uh, you, you, you've got. When the you're really name. famous, you only have one name. <laughs> one name. Like I'm, I'm sitting there going, as I'm listening, I'm going, I don't know her last name, or is that her last name? I have no idea. Does she have a first name? Shao. <laughs> House with an S in front of it. But say that again, please. Shao. Uh, House with an S in front. S H O U S E. All right. Very good. And can they get a hold of you, Kenzie? Yeah. Yeah. So we have a website, CoraPhysicalTherapy.com, yep. and it's got a bunch of information on it. And then our clinic is in Winghaven in the O'Fallon area, and our number is 636-265-4100. And that's our clinic number. And then I have an email, too. So my email is K Schaus, my last name, so K-S-H-O-U-S-E. At CoraHealth.com. Excellent. You both were rock stars. Yeah, Dr. Rick, you're you're always a rock star. You know, <laughs> you just are. Thank you all for joining hey. the uh, in your corner with uh, Cora Physical Therapy. Thank you for being a, a part hey, of this Scott, incredible uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey Scott. Yeah, I, I have okay. one last question for Dr. Lehman. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, now I'll just back off. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's technical. Um, hey, hey, Dr. Lehman. Um, capsulotomy repair or let it go you know i mean as you know it's kind of gone back and forth uh -huh. um and, and i think now what we're seeing is we're seeing more people over constrained um so we used to close the capsule and now i think we leave the capsule open unless there's just you know if you do a big t capsulotomy you may want to close a little bit of it but um right i think we're seeing more more over constrained uh, patients and I think if they don't have any pre-existing hip instability you're okay unless you do like I said just a big T uh, sure. to leave it open uh, and sometimes you just want to close a little a, a portion of it to try to, to try to get back to neutral but um, I think that's a, uh, a moving target as well right yeah less filling tastes great right yeah no that was good and, and yeah, you're right. Right. Probably, probably no one knows what that is yeah well yeah. I, I would agree I would agree I, my, I, my my philosophy is, is certainly patient specific as well um, you know that theme
you know, soccer players labeled here. I mean, I'm preparing that capsule every time. Yeah. But, you know, a guy like me with impingement, you know, probably going to give him a little more uh, range of motion if I leave the capsule out in the open. Right. And, and I think I think in younger kids, you know, that are a little loose, you, you definitely have to, because they're going to come back and they're going to have symptoms of instability, you know, right. and that 28-year-old soccer player who's pretty degenerative, um, you may over constrain that guy and he's going to come back and he's going to, he's going to have trouble with range and then his arthritis is going to progress. So I agree. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks. All right. You guys were awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining in your corner at podcast with uh, these incredible folks. Thank you very much.